RPC Sermons Podcast. Today's episode is a special episode from our Facebook Live series entitled Closing the Distance. These are unscripted conversations with the pastors of RPC and various special guests reflecting on topics from our ongoing sermon series. If you're interested in learning more about this community of faith, visit roswellprez.org. morning and welcome to Closing the Distance. I'm Jeff Myers, one of the pastors here at Roswell Presbyterian Church, and I'm here with Valerie Hess, one of my old friends. Valerie, it's so good to see you on here. She's the author of a terrific book called The Life of the Body, Physical Well-Being and Spiritual Formation, among a number of other books that we'll kind of talk uh, along the way. But Valerie, you've had a of a wide-ranging life, being a teacher on spiritual practices, a writer, a music ministry director, musician, while also being a wife, mother, and grandmother. Could you just give us kind of a brief history of how God has brought you to this point? And thanks for being here. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Good to see you again. Wow. Um, <laughs> the brief history is that I have never known a time in my life where I didn't know God. Um, I have no big Damascus Road conversion story. Mine has been um, growing up in a Lutheran church, a gradual, you know, a love of the liturgy. Um, just over the years of um, growing and understanding and learning I've been involved in a variety of Lutheran churches, Presbyterian churches, uh, dabbled a little bit in Eastern Orthodoxy, familiar with Roman Catholicism, um, now worshiping in an Episcopal church. Uh, part of that is uh, my music background. Church musicians tend to be the most ecumenical <laughs> of the lot. Um, but a lot of that has also been my drive to understand how God is trying to work in the world. Mm. And um, God works in a lot of different ways, uh, often in ways that I don't think God should be working in <laughs> or um, ways that I certainly wouldn't work. Um, and so it's been a real blessing to sort of, if you will, be on the sidelines in a lot of different places and situations, um, seeing that the God of creation mm -hmm. continue to be involved actively with his people and his creation. Mm -hmm. So I have gotten here um, sometimes kicking and screaming, uh, sometimes rushing in where angels have feared to tread, tread. Um, and sometimes purely by um, not quite uh, Philip being dropped into the chariot, but uh, of the Ethiopian eunuch, but 
almost. So it's a it's a it's a very rich history of faith mm -hmm. uh, with certainly some dark wilderness times, dark nights of the soul, um, but also just some really rich, rich um, encounters mm -hmm. over the years. So you you mentioned creation, and I think one of the things knowing you but also reading your work over the years i think the goodness of creation the sacredness of god's creation really shines through and i think it's a, one of the things you really emphasize and now when i think about your biography since i've known you you've lived in some really ugly places in creation boulder colorado missoula montana the old <laughs> uh, town in Israel. Uh, I mean, it's pretty awesome. How has living in those places inspired you, enriched you? Well, part of it for me is I really am an artist at heart. I have that artistic temperament. If anybody knows the Enneagram, I am very much an Enneagram four, which is the, the artistic creative so beauty is very important to me. Um, I, I would struggle to live in a place that wasn't, for me, have some kind of natural beauty in it. Um, I think at this point in my life, I could do it, but um, because I've gotten enough resources, internal resources, but I, I think that the gift of God's creation um, because as the desert fathers and mothers, those people who fled um, into the uh, desert after Christianity was declared legal because they felt like the church was literally going to hell in a handbasket at that point, um, they believed that creation was a second scripture. Many of them at that point in the fourth century, if they could read, didn't even have books, let alone a Bible. Um, and they used creation and the Psalms that they had memorized and the vast passages of scripture that they had memorized. But creation was very much a way that God spoke to them. Mm -hmm. And I've always thought that was very interesting. Um, um, and, and it ties in, I mean, leaping over to the whole book that I wrote with Lane Arnold. Um, I think we as Christians forget that the incarnation, i.e. the body of Jesus Christ, the second son of the Trinity in human form, sacralizes all of creation. I mean, Christians should be at the forefront of the environmental protection movement mm -hmm. because of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. I mean, we don't even have to go back to the Genesis and argue over what dominion over creation versus stewardship. We don't even have to get into all of that. If God didn't care about creation, he would not have sent Jesus in the flesh. Mm. Um, and I think that we forget that to our peril. I think that it leads to a theology that is only um related to getting us into heaven and doesn't have anything to do with what we're called here to do on earth it it leads to a belief that somehow the earth is going to be thrown into the tra tra um, cosmic trash can at the end of the 
of time, which is not what the book of Revelation and other places say, talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Uh, how that's all going to work out, I have no idea. And I think anyone who says that they do is a bit suspect, but somehow God is going to redeem and restore all of creation. Right. Which is what, to me, we are focusing on in Lent and Holy Week. And if that's not the redemption of not only humanity, but all of creation, that Romans 8 passage, I mean, we could go on and on about how scripture supports creation and our physicalness mm -hmm. as being absolutely crucial uh, part of our salvation history. Yeah. So, okay. So you bring up a lot of great stuff right there. I do. Uh, <laughs> so I got to be honest with you. I had to rebuy your book recently. And I want people to know it's at a great price, the Kindle version on Amazon, if people are interested. But I buy your, I bought it back in like 2012, 2013, right after it come out. But as in, there it is, the life of the body. And so many like great books you get. The problem about loaning out great books to friends or parishioners or people is you lend it out and then they, they're like, this is too good to give back. And so the, I, so I realized I'd lend it out and somebody hadn't given it back. And it was fun to reread the life of the body. And you really go into kind of the Western tradition coming from Plato, you know, that the real world is the world world of spirit. It's the forms, it's the shadow world. It's, the, it's outside of the creation where it's, cause this is too dirty. It's ephemeral. It's always in change. You can't count on it. And you say, oh, the Bible gives, and especially the old Testament, the creation story gives a very, and, and, you know, our legacy in Judaism as we stand on Hebrew shoulders gives a very different perspective about the goodness of creation. And I find, and yeah, what do you think? Yeah, I just think that's so powerful. Well, um, I don't mean to be crass here, but traditional Judaism has a prayer for you to use before you go to the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, you can't get more earthy than that. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. I, I, like I said, I'm not trying to be crass here. I'm just trying to make a point that it matters. Our bodies matter. And I think one of the things that we had to be very careful of in the book is to tread the alligator swamp of Christians who let their bodies go. I'm talking about healthy people who don't take care of their bodies. I'm not talking about people who are born with disabilities or illnesses that they have no choice over. But someone like me who gains the weight, doesn't like the exercise, eats a little too much sugar. If I believe that my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, and if I were able to make a drawing of my body as a temple, say, take a piece of paper, hand me a crayon, and what, what would that really, how, how could I honestly draw that? Mm -hmm. And basically, 
it is a way that I am saying that I don't care for God's creation of my, my being. Mm -hmm. You know, I have to, I mean, if many of us treated our cars the way we treated our bodies, we'd be walking. We'd be walking. Mm -hmm. And yet God has given us these marvelous creations, machines, if you will, that as I'm sitting here is doing all kinds of things without my even thinking about it, let alone directing it. I need to at least pay a little bit more attention to how I move it regularly, what I put in my mouth and why, mm -hmm. um, and just other things that we do. And we're never, we're never gonna be perfect. And listen, I am not saying, I'm not going down the Gwen Shamblin route that godliness is, I'm not going there at all. I'm thinking that it becomes a question of stewardship. And in that stewardship is a reflection of my theology. Mm -hmm. Do I believe that God created me and that my physical body can aid my spirit in worshiping God, knowing about God, learning about God, trusting God. And so therefore, maybe I ought to pay a little more attention than I do some days to it. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so you talk, God's created us, the world, the dirt, you know, the sewer system, and called it good. And, we, and so we are called to take care of it as stewards, and custodians, uh, not that we own it, but we are just, we've been gifted this gift and now we need to take use of it. So, but, and in the story, in that story of creation that's, that goes day by day, there's six days God creates and on the seventh day, God rests. And we're, this week we're focusing in on Sabbath keeping and rest. What, what impact and importance is Sabbath keeping and rest in taking care of our bodies? Well, first of all, we have to admit that not resting is idolatry. Hmm. I mean, it isn't anything else. It means that if I don't keep doing X and Y and Z, civilization as we know it is going to fail, which is nothing more than making myself God of the universe, which is nothing more than idolatry. So this whole, and especially for women, who have bought the lie, you know, I'm a child of the 60s and 70s, we can have it all, right? We can mm -hmm. work 60 hours a week, we can raise three kids, we can have an immaculate house, perfect meals, and still entertain the Bible study group on Saturdays with homemade goodies. I mean, that's insane. That's insane. Mm -hmm. And yet, we live as if that was the truth. Mm -hmm. So by God inviting us to stop, whatever, whatever that means for you, to stop and to admit that God is the subject, not me. Mm -hmm. I, I am an important part of creation, but I am not the subject. And when I don't stop, when I am at a point of exhaustion, and I'm not talking about, you know, your, 
mother is dying of cancer and you've got three small children under the age of six at home that you're trying to care. I'm not talking about the exhaustion that comes from crisis situations. I'm talking about the exhaustion that comes because we believe we have to have a, a certain amount of material things which requires all this income and then we have all this stuff that has to be maintained and then oh by the way the kids need to each be in three different sports and then you know blah blah, blah. I mean it's that kind of choice stuff we are in my mind on the very thin edge of idolatry hmm. so so I think the first thing that happens is that our souls get tired because when any of us are doing something creative and restorative, you might be tired physically at the end of the day, but there's a refreshment and a joy and, oh, wow, you know, like maybe skiing all day or something, you know, it's, it's, it's been soul filling, even as you're so ready for a good night's sleep. That's a very different need for rest. Mm than the soul exhaustion that most of us drag around like a 500 pound weight throughout our lives. And we are not a witness to the joyful uh, kingdom that God invites us to live starting here and now. Mm -hmm. I mean, heaven and, and as we know, heaven and hell begins now. The choices that we're making now are either heaven inspired or hell inspired and um i think being exhausted especially when you're being exhausted for god is is not that is not the voice of our life-giving savior mm -hmm. so is okay so you have grandchildren and you know i i don't know if your relationship is like my relationship with my parents but I would rather them not give me advice about how to raise my kids or you know <laughs> advice about how to live you know but but you're not my but you're not my mom Valerie so you have you have carte blanche what advice would you give to people like me who've got kids two people that work you know we want our kids to play the sports we want you know and our like our calendar is just exploding with stuff to do and, and and, and a lot of it's really good. It's hard to say, oh, that's bad. Let's take that off. It's, it's really good. How do we find the discipline to find Sabbath and rest? Well, you're probably still not going to like my answer. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, ditch the screens. Mm. Screens, first of all, we know from science what blue screens do to growing brains. But it's like smoking, you know, 40 years ago, you know, nobody's going to tell me what to do, but ditch the screens. Kids, kids do not need, adults do not need, but kids do not need television, video games, phones. They don't need them. Steve Jobs himself, who started Apple, would never give his son under the age of 14 a cell phone. So if Steve Jobs is saying that, I think we can maybe heed some of that. So ditch the screens because that exhausts everybody. Mm -hmm. And it's and most of it, 99.4% of it is garbage anyway. Even, even the good stuff. 
is garbage because it doesn't develop imaginations. Second of all, limit your children's activities. They cannot do it all. You cannot do it all. Mm -hmm. And so instead of letting them be in three different activities, they get each get one. Mm -hmm. One, you know, I mean, there are kids today who are going from soccer practice to hockey practice to piano lessons to come home to eat, um, you know, fast food because nobody was home, you know, to make a decent meal to try to do homework before they collapse exhausted in bed. Um, that's not healthy. Get your kids outside, you know, have, have an out. Now, obviously, if you're living in an urban environment, you're not going to send your kids down the elevator and out, you know, on the street at seven o'clock at night, but, but make nature an outdoor, being outdoors, playing, moving, and unstructured, uh -huh. not group, not always group soccer, as, as wonderful as those things are, um, make sure that that's a priority at some point in their week, if it has to be on the weekends or something, depending on what your uh, living situation is. Um, and I think family dinners. Mm. I mean, I'm not, that's not original to me, but family dinners, they, they've got to happen. And even if they can't happen every night, they have got to be a mandatory for adults. No TV on, no checking phones, no conversation. Mm -hmm. Good food, slow paced. And those kinds of things can be done. As Richard Foster says, we overestimate what we can do in 10 years and underestimate, no, overestimate what we can do in one year and underestimate what we can do in 10 years. So it's a step-by-step, step. you know, if you find yourself, you know, the calendar is just absolutely black. In my book, um, Habits of a Child's Heart, Raising Your Kids with the Spiritual Disciplines that I wrote with Marty Garlet, there's a master calendar exercise in the back. And it's an attempt to get people to look realistically at what their right life looks like on paper right now. Um, because I think a lot of us don't really realize one of the things that I stress in that is that it may take you 30 minutes to go to the grocery store, but you've got to factor in how long it takes to drive there and back, how long it takes to put the groceries away. And that oftentimes can double or triple the amount of time. So if you suddenly think, oh, well, I'll just get groceries, you know, in this window I have, it's not realistic. You know, I mean, we, we need to we need to look realistically at how long things take to do. And I will tell you from personal experience, when you're in a very busy, you know, full project at work or crisis, the health crisis, the thing that will take you down is not the situation itself it'll be the fact that you have no clean clothes you haven't had a decent meal in three days and the house is utter chaos that that is what will send you over the cliff hmm. and a lot of us live at that level and think that's normal mm -hmm. 
Well, okay. I, I can't believe your kids don't love listening to you uh, offer <laughs> advice. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, a, a prophet is without honor in her own <laughs> well, we did we did do some of that. We limited them. Uh, you know, they now complain about it. One of them does, and I said, I've always told them you need something to tell your therapist. <laughs> and um, we had family dinners. I mean, John had a pastoral ministry schedule that would flatten many people, but he made the family a priority. Mm. We had dinners. We limited the kids' activities. We happened to live in a neighborhood where they could play outside a lot. Um, and I have I have two daughters, and they are some of the most empowered women I know. Mm. With with very strong faiths. Wow, well, that doesn't surprise me. Well, okay, so you okay so you just outed yourself you're married to a pastor um and and so you've got a unique and you've worked on church staffs so you so you've got a unique perspective on church um how can the church and churches help our members and our people practice sabbath and rest and the programming so a lot of times the reason people are tired is they're at church five days a week. Mm. Now, I believe that everyone should be in worship weekly. I believe in education for children through adults. I believe that church is absolutely important. But what happens, and I've seen this firsthand, is youth groups, and other ministries that start out with very good intentions suddenly take on a life of their own. Mm. They become their own silo. Suddenly kids aren't in worship with adults anymore. They are doing kids church or junior high church or young adult church. I mean, when do they ever come in to worship with the full body of Christ? Mm -hmm. I am a firm believer that children need to be in worship. Yes, maybe take the squalling, you know, 16-month-old granddaughter out. But kids learn to worship watching the adults. Mm. And by having all these various different programs, we get the kids to church to play basketball we get the kids to church to you know um do campouts or whatever and, and none of that none of that's bad mm -hmm. but they take on lives of, of their own and become these behemoths that then simply add to everybody's stress level and the original purpose of reaching kids for Christ gets lost in the pizza boxes and the um, overnight games and stuff. I've seen it happen. I've seen it happen. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, uh, we do, uh, at least at RPC, we really try to emphasize having the whole family, kids in church. Um, we, of course, acknowledge 
people's lives are complex and sometimes that can't work. But we try to, in the programming, make sure that it's possible for everybody to worship together as best we can. Um, okay, so we're coming kind of to the end of our time together. But I want to say, we've been talking over the during Lent here a lot about spiritual disciplines. And much of your work is how the spiritual disciplines connect to the physical. You know, we are, we are as embodied creatures. And could you just leave us with like kind of a closing comment about how taking care of our spirits through the spiritual practices and disciplines impacts our physical well-being? I'm actually going to reverse that. And I'm going to challenge people to intentionally spend a week, at least, caring for their bodies and see how their spirits respond. I'm gonna, I'm gonna challenge them to go to bed on time, get enough sleep. I'm gonna challenge them to drink enough water, eat healthy food, get appropriate exercise every day for at least a week, maybe longer if you can and see how your spirit feels. Because too often times we're trying to drag spirits around in a vehicle that has flat tires and desperately needs the oil changed. Mm. I love that. That's real. I should have known you were gonna flip it on me. <laughs> so, Valerie, you've been so inspiring that when we get off this call, I'm going to go for a run. So uh, <laughs> you've, already, you've already made one convert right away. <laughs> well, I want to thank you so much for closing the distance with us today. And I really appreciate you, your ministry, your you. friendship over so many years. And, you know, if, when you're in Atlanta or the Roswell area, you let me know. We'll have you at RBC and uh, we'll, uh, we'll give you the microphone. So you're as prophetic as ever. And I really appreciate it. <laughs> Well, thank you, Jeff. It's been an honor to talk to you. I'd love to come see you all in person someday, maybe. Lord willing. We'll make it happen. I'll let you know when I'm in Missoula. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, Valerie. See you soon.